We're in the book of Judges. It's the story of Jephthah this morning. And I don't know how many of you guys know the story of Jephthah. It's one of the rare ones in the Bible for a reason. There is no redeeming quality in Jephthah. But there is a redeeming quality in the story of Jephthah. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 11. And to frame this story, I want to ask you a question, probably something we can all relate to. Have you ever started out an experience or have you ever observed something from afar and you knew from the get-go this was not going to end well? Have you ever watched somebody embarking on something and thought, this, this is not the person that needs to be doing this, but you were powerless to actually make any kind of change? That's the story of Jephthah in a nutshell. See, in the book of Judges, there's a pretty clear message. And, and that is that Israel is rebelling against God without any kind of consistent leadership, and it ends in disaster. In fact, there's a thing that, that uh, commentators on this book call the Judges Cycle. And it's a pattern that takes place seven times in the book of Judges. And I want to walk through that pattern to set up the story of Jephthah. So the Judges cycle is not just a cycle about judges. It's a cycle about all people for all times who try and live their lives without the Lord. And we'll notice this. We've all been through this cycle before. The theme of the book of Judges is the last line of the book. So you have to wait until the very end to get the theme, but I'll read it to you. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In those days there was no king, there was no leader, there were no spiritual people watching out for Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Judges like, we'll prove it to you. And they do. Here's the, here's the cycle that happens in Judges. Israel is oppressed by their enemies because of their rebellion against God. And whether it's the Philistines or whether it's the Amalekites or whoever comes in, they start to rule over Israel and oppress them. Then Israel cries out to God. It says, God, we're your people. We're oppressed. Didn't you promise us that you would take care of us? And God hears. That phrase is all over the book of Judges. God hears his people when they cry out to him. So what does he do? Well, he raises up a judge. So the judges would be people like Samson that I know you've talked about and Gideon and Ehud. He's my favorite because he's left-handed like I am. And Samuel and Deborah and Barak. And they raise up these people and the spirit of the Lord rushes upon them and they free the people from their oppression. And then what happens? They're at peace for a certain amount of time and they begin to do what was right in their own eyes. And then they get oppressed by foreign people and then they cry out to God and then God delivers them. And this happens over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges. The theme for us, the identifiable point for us is just because God removes external constraints, just because God changes your situation, doesn't mean that God changes your heart. And that's what we see in the story of Jephthah. So in Judges chapter 11, we've had about 40 years of peace 
between the time of Gideon and the time of our other judges that come in between. So we have Tola and Jair um, who judge for a little while. We have the story about Abimelech. And then finally we get to Jephthah. It says in verse 1, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him other sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. So Jephthah's got a past, and his past has nothing to do with him to begin with. He is the half-brother of the sons of Gilead, who are the rulers of a tribe. And it's interesting, though, he lives out his past because it says at the end of that passage, worthless fellows collected around him. How would you like that to have be your description in the Bible? He was really attractive to worthless fellows. So he gets a band of these men around him. He's living out in the desert, and things go really poorly for Gilead. So what do they do? After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel, against Gilead. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. The people go and find Jephthah. Now, this is ironic because these are the people that drove him away saying, you have no inheritance here. You're not one of us. We don't want you. We don't need you. And now they come and they find Jephthah. And Jephthah has a little bit of fun with these guys. Look at me at verse six. They say to Jephthah, come, be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. And then Jephthah said, Did you, aren't, you, aren't you the guys that hated me? I'm trying to remember there were some guys that didn't like me because of my past and they kicked me out of Gilead. But I'm trying to remember who those guys were. They say, do you just need me because you're in trouble? Humbling moment for the elders of Gilead. And they say, we have come because we're in distress. We've turned to you that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah makes a deal with them. He says, if I come, then I'm going to need to be your tribal leader. He's like, I won't accept anything less. And if we win this battle, then my descendants will be the ones that rule over Gilead forever. Well, as you probably can guess, because this is a Bible story, things come to pass where he does conquer over the people. He does become the leader of Gilead, and he makes a vow to the Lord. And this is what he's probably most famous for. In verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah he passed on to the Ammonites, and he made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, this should be a little bit alarming right up front because you got to wonder, Jephthah is not what we're going to consider a Rhodes Scholar here. What are the options of things that are going to come out of his house when he comes back? I mean, maybe a goat, maybe a sheep, but most likely a person. And so he says, Lord, whatever comes out of my house, 
That's what I'll give to you. Well, you probably see this train wreck about to happen. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, with a great blow so that the Ammonites were subdued. And then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and you have become the cause of great trouble for me for I opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take it back. And she said to him, my father, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Leave me alone for two months that I might go up and down in the mountains weeping, I and my companions. This is where the story turns tragic. It's interesting when we look at this story, like I said, there's no, there's no redeeming piece to this story or to the, to the character of Jephthah. But there is a redeeming piece to the story. The lesson of this story in the book of Judges is obvious if you remember what God had told his people about vows. The application that we should take is that it's foolish to do things for God that God doesn't require you to do. Because when you look at the way the Old Testament vow worked, child sacrifice was an abomination to the Lord. In fact, in Leviticus, one of the things God warns his people about is that when you go into the Holy Lands, the Canaanites sacrifice their children to the gods. But you should not do that. That is an abomination to me. So from the get-go, he's making a vow that possibly ends in abomination to the Lord. What he thinks he's doing to earn favor from the Lord is actually a blasphemy against God. Secondly, in Leviticus chapter 5, they put a provision on the vows. God says, if you make a vow that requires you to sin, the vow is void. There's no reason that Jephthah needed to keep this vow if it had been his child. But instead, what we see in Jephthah is he doesn't know the word of God. He doesn't know the character of God. And so he does things for God that God never required him to do. And when this happens, it always ends in tragedy. Often we do the same thing. We offer to God things that God does not require. The way that Jephthah went about the situation is similar to the ways that we go about trying to serve the Lord. Jephthah looked at the culture outside of him and said, what are the things that these people do that appease the gods? If I do that, maybe I will appease my God. It's pretty obvious to think back to a time when for us, it wasn't the word of God. It wasn't the character of God. Maybe it was just the reputation of God that caused us to do something we thought would earn favor from God. But instead, it wasn't pleasing to God at all. I'll give you an example that I come across all the time in my life. Culturally, we think if you do good things for God, he will do good things for you. One of the things that this causes us to do is when you do a bad thing, almost always our impulse is to shy away from God. So that argument that you have with yourself where you say, well, I did something bad, 
I need to pray for something. I need a blessing. So I'm going to do three or four good things. And then I'm going to pray so that then God will be happy with me. And then he will bless me. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a different God, but that's not the God of the Bible. In fact, the Bible says that when we rebel against God, that's the time to draw nearest to God, not to run away from God. You can think of many examples, I'm sure, but it reminds me of the quote by Mark Twain where he says, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that bother me. It's hard enough to do the things that God actually requires. Don't spend time doing things that he doesn't require, expecting to earn his favor because of them. The second application point that we have from Jephthah is speaking on behalf of God. Not only should we try to stay away from doing things that God hasn't required us to do, but it's equally important not to say things that God hasn't required us to say. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting play on words in this story. You see this all over the Hebrew Bible. They loved puns. One of the things you realize when you study the Hebrew Bible, they loved puns. They love word meanings. Jephthah's name means he will open. God will open. Now, it's interesting in verses 35 and 36 what he says. Look with me in chapter 11, 35. As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and he said, Alas, you've brought me low, for I have opened my mouth. I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I can't take back my vow. The star of this story, honestly, is Jephthah's daughter. How much faith do we see in his daughter? My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. The Lord hasn't opened your mouth. The Lord didn't speak this, not Jephthah, he has opened my mouth, but instead I have opened my mouth to the Lord. What you see in this story, a lot of the commentators are split on what actually happens at the end of this story. It's a pretty, it's a pretty tragic end to the story, no matter how you cut it. But most people believe that he did not end up sacrificing his daughter. Instead, he set her aside for temple worship. He set her aside um, to commit her days to the Lord instead of having a family or instead of uh, doing the things that she wanted to do. But either way you slice it, Jephthah opened his own mouth on behalf of the Lord, but instead he ended up speaking on behalf of his daughter. The person who bared the brunt for what Jephthah did was not Jephthah. It was Jephthah's daughter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter, maybe with this story in mind, gives us the same recognition. Let him who speaks, speak as the oracles of God, not for himself. Let the person who speaks, let him who opens his mouth always be Jephthah. He has opened my mouth. The Lord has opened our mouth. It says elsewhere, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Speaking on behalf of God, not on behalf of man. What we learn from Jephthah is the message that we learn all through the book of Judges. That it doesn't take long, apart from the Lord, for a whole society of people to go crazy. It's the message we get a lot of times. If you've ever left a group of kids by themselves, it is amazing the damage they can do in 30 seconds. 
by themselves. I think of this image that was floating around uh, Facebook a couple of months ago. It's these two little boys, and I, I think I might have shared this with you before. It's these two little boys, and they're both covered in paint. And it's a video, and the dad comes in, and he says, hey, somebody got into the paint. Do you guys know who it was? And one brother looks at the other brother and says, it wasn't us. We don't know who it was. He's like, are you sure? Do you know what might have happened? I'm trying to find who did it. And they say, we have no idea who did it, Dad. But they are red from head to toe in paint. And it's that message left to our own, acting on our own. And even worse in the story of Jephthah, acting on what we think God or what we hear that God might want instead of what God actually wants will always lead to disaster. The message for us is to not act like Jephthah, to speak on behalf of God, but to be a Jephthah, to speak when God opens our mouths to speak. Let me pray for us. We have some prayer requests here that Steve is going to go into a little bit more maybe next week, but I'm just going to pray for them here at the end. Father, thank you for this morning and for this group of people. Lord, we, we thank you especially this morning for Deborah Honeycutt. Lord, for all the things that you're doing in Roatan. Lord, we know this was just a small picture of the ways that you've been faithful to her and to those people. Lord, we do pray that you would continue to provide for them, both financially but also spiritually. Lord, build them up and give them strength. Father, bring many people to know you because of the work that they're doing in their school. Father, we thank you that this is your plan that we would all be engaged in missions, Lord, whether it's going or sending, Lord, you've given each of us an opportunity to take part in your plan for all the ages that people might come to know Jesus. Father, within this group, we have some prayer requests we wanna lift up to you this morning. Lord, first, we pray that you would be with Steve as he's gone. Lord, we pray that you would take care of him, refresh him. Lord, we thank you for him. Lord, we lift up Angie Horrell for the chemo that she's beginning. Lord, for Stephen Good, we thank you for good results this week. Lord, we praise you for the good news. Father, we pray for Angie, who will be having a first chemo treatment this week. Lord, we pray for strength. Lord, we ask you that you would sustain her. We ask for healing for her. Lord, for Ann White, we pray for physical and emotional strength for the things that she's going through. Lord, we know you know that situation and you're involved with her. Lord, we pray for Jonathan, who's in ICU with a blood clot in his brain. Lord, we pray that you would save him. Lord, we don't know the condition of his heart, but Lord, we pray for his heart and his body. Father, that you would be with him. Lord, we also pray for Patty. Lord, as she has been in the hospital and now is home, Lord, we pray for continued healing for her pneumonia. We pray that you would continue to sustain her. Lord, we thank you for Kim Wynn, who worked a double shift in her place at the hospital. Lord, fill her with strength and give her rest. Father, all of us pray that you would make your character and your word known to us, that we wouldn't be like Jephthah, but that we would have a relationship with you and speak the things that you tell us to speak and do the things that you tell us to do. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this church that we get to gather each week. In Jesus' name, amen.